Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today. without you. We can't even hear your word the way that we're supposed to without you. So please equip us, anoint us this morning. There's so much to offer our praise to you for in our lives. We are here this morning to hear the word of truth. We are here this morning in a worship celebration. Yes, our lives may be touched and marred with the hurtful effects of sin, but we're here, Jesus. But we're drawing breath that you have provided, Jesus. That our heart is beating because you have said it to, not because any of us have told it to. So I thank you today. And we do declare our need for you over ourselves. We're not declaring it to you. You already know. We're declaring it over ourselves because we need you, Jesus. So I pray that you would speak to us today. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, you high and lifted up, that you are drawing us unto yourself. Your word says as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So Jesus, please give us the activity of our soul to draw near to you today, that you would draw near to us, because in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We love you. We thank you. We trust you. In your mighty name, Jesus Christ, we pray these things as we offer you praise and thanks and adoration by shouting hallelujah and amen, putting our hands together for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, church. You may be seated as the worship team exits the stage and our children make their way to kids' ministry. If any kids want to go to kids' ministry now, they are released, uh, and we love you kids. We bless you kids for going to kids' ministry to hear about Jesus. It's the most important thing you could ever hear. There is my child. Wonderful. I was wondering where he had made his way to, but he's making his way to kids' ministry. Hallelujah. Hey, so uh, I'm so grateful we get to be here on a Sunday morning yet again. It's not just another Sunday, though, but it is the next Sunday as we gather uh, in our sermon series called Smoke and Mirrors, right, where we've been deciphering real truth in a world full of quote-unquote truths, where we have been looking at our real purpose as we've been cataloging through the book of Ecclesiastes. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and while we have made our way to chapter 2, verse 12, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in verse 12. We're going to make our way through verse 17 today. We're just going to continue along as we have been going, Uh, but I want to kind of bring back something we touched on briefly last week. Last week week we touched on something as we were talking about the enjoyment of pleasure that we talked about Solomon as he was cataloging through hedonism and how we as human beings are uniquely equipped to enjoy pleasure more than anything else on earth. Everything else just sort of acts according to the created order and instinct. But again, one of the most fascinating things about us, about human beings, is that we are conscious and self-aware. God has made us this way, unlike any other creature. We're blessed with the intellectual and spiritual capacity for self-consciousness, for uh, even individualism, understanding who we are as an individual, understanding that there are ambitions and achievements and reason and thinking that we have been gifted with the opportunity for. Now, I know uh, some of you may be thinking uh, not everyone has been gifted with the ability to reason or think. Amen? 
Okay, good. A couple people were, were really listening there. We're all made in God's image, but some people, it's just harder to think than others, right? I fall prey to that every now and then. You, you do too, okay? But, but human beings, we have um, this amazing ability to want something greater, to want something deeper, to find a greater purpose in life or a deeper meaning to all of this. We are driven towards this, to try to make sense of our being and our doing, much more so than any animal, right? The, the eagle doesn't think like this. The pig doesn't think like this. The bushes don't feel like this. That God has gifted us with this unique capacity, and out of this capacity, we are driven to these deeper meanings, these greater visions, these higher purposes, these existential things that we're looking for because we all long for it. We all long for meaning. Not everybody longs to be famous and be in the public eye. Not everybody longs to have great, big, uh, masterful achievements being tagged to their life, but all of us are searching for meaning. Every single one of us is looking for a meaning to all of it. And I think that if we were to sum it up with one word, uh, the word that we would use today is ambition. We are all uh, blessed with ambition. Now, how we look at that ambition determines whether or not it is actually a blessing. In the dictionary, there's two definitions for ambition. The one that we first think of and we primarily think of is this, uh, de this deep desire, this ardent desire. Merriam-Webster says an ardent desire for position, rank, or fame, right? To be better than other people, to be greater than others. That is the ambition that comes up in the dictionary first. But there is a second definition that shows up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And the working uh, definition for our time together today Day is a desired for a particular end. That ambition is defined as a desire for a particular end, specifically to achieve a particular end. That if we look at all of our lives, I would say we all have that ambition. And when I say that we all have ambition that's given to us from God, it is this. It is a desire to achieve a particular end, but the question is not whether or not we have ambition. The question is what is the end? What is the end that we are seeking to achieve at the end of it all? Are we trying to make ourselves great? Are we trying to make sure that we, uh, that our name is in lights, that everyone knows who we are? And another question is who or what determines that ambition? Who or what grants us that vision? Now we all know that there's a right answer to every question your pastor asks you, Amen. But there's often a real answer that sometimes deviates a little bit from the right answer if we want to be honest today, that perhaps it's not always the chief end of man, right, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Catechism says uh, about our lives. That's not always what it is for us. Sometimes our desire to achieve a particular end is determined by something a little bit different. So as we jump into Ecclesiastes, we're continuing on, and if you've been with us in this sermon series, over the last few weeks you have seen the preacher who he calls himself the preacher. The, the Hebrew word is koheleth, which means the one who is gathering people together to tell them something of importance, the preacher who we believe to be King Solomon. He's told us all about life under the sun. Under the sun comes out 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and under the sun means life on earth, so sort of life apart from God. So he's told us all about life under the sun and its relative meaninglessness as we have looked at these isms week after week after week at how if we just look at life under the sun and compare it with naturalism, the world seems to just continue on regardless of what we think, say, or do. He talked about that with the wind and the streams and how uh, one generation comes and another generation goes. And then two weeks ago, uh, Drew preached about intellectualism that if we are just smarter than everyone else, that's where we'll find meaning. If we can just find out more than everyone else, then that's where we will get our meaning. But we also found, as the preacher taught us, that no one can outsearch or outknow God, that God is the root and source and cause and definition of all wisdom, and we can't figure it out on our own. And if you were with us last week, we looked at hedonism, where Solomon said, I am going to pursue every single pleasure known to man and at the end of that, he said it was meaninglessness as well. He uses the word hevel, the Hebrew word hevel, which means a wisp of smoke or a wisp of vapor that you see it, but when you try to grab it, it eludes you. Now today we're going to look at individualism. Individualism specifically uh, through the lens of ambition and achievement. That I'm going to go set out to do something for me, right? So 
let's pick up in, in chapter 2, verse 12, and we're going to look at what he says about individualism, but specifically through wisdom. So he kind of steps back onto a path that we were in two weeks ago, but he looks at it through a bit of a different, different lens. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 12, says this, so I turned to consider wisdom. So remember, he's considering hedonism, naturalism, intellectualism. He's looking for the meaning of life. He's on this sort of never-ending quest. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So again, he is going back to wisdom. And Solomon, we know this, that he asked God for wisdom, and the, and the Bible says God filled him with wisdom. If God fills you with something, there's a lot of it. He's often referred to as the wisest man of all time. But again, he's looking at wisdom through a bit of a different lens here, through the lens of ambition and achievement. And he compares wisdom. I think it, it, it butts up to the pericope right before this very well when he says, I'm comparing wisdom to foolish living. Madness and folly, as it says in our translations, is actually one word, one idea in, in the original Hebrew. It's mad folly. So it is is living a life that is foolishness, living a life of madness, this madness that kind of results in foolishness. And he says, I sought meaning in those things, but I found it was empty. I sought meaning in wisdom, and I found that wisdom can grant me more gain or more benefit than this life of foolishness can. Now, I think all of us can relate to that, right? That living a life of wisdom versus living a life of foolishness typically works out better. Amen? How many of you have ever had a foolish season of your life or maybe a foolish day? Maybe just a foolish hour. I'm trying to get everybody's hand up. Maybe just one foolish decision, maybe, ever, right? Okay, all right, yeah. We've all been there that a life of wisdom provides more gain or benefit than does a life of mad folly or madness leading to foolish living. And Solomon talks about this and when he says about his pursuit of pleasure and hedonism, that it just doesn't even matter. And it's so clear to him that he says, a life of wisdom is like living with sight, and a life of foolishness is like living blind. That in one choice you can actually see, in the other you cannot. Wisdom allows one to see their way instead of leading them to stumble over the obstacles of life. Now, this is all making a lot of sense to us, right? That we all understand this, that we teach our children to operate according to wisdom, that we want to have all the wisdom that we possibly can, even if it's just for conflict or pain avoidance. We just don't want to have a bad life. We don't want to encounter obstacles. We don't want to get tripped up by any of this stuff. And no one knows this better than the preacher. No one knows this better than the person who is telling us about this. Remember, God filled him with wisdom. He is a man who reached the pinnacle of achievement, right? That he was filled with wisdom and he worked and toiled and used that wisdom to fuel his ambition to experience significant gain, significant achievement, right? The wealthiest man on earth. Again, with hundreds of wives and concubines. And if you were with us last week, he built all of these shrines of glory to himself as we went through Solomon's MTV crib, right? As we went through his house and seen what he has. And he highlights how he has reached the pinnacle in verse 12. He's like, if anybody knows it, it's me. And everybody that does anything after me won't have done all that I have done, right? That is a pretty uh, like, uh, uh, amazing claim to make. That whoever does something after me, I will have already done it, right? That I have done everything. So he understands wisdom and achievement and ambition. And if I can't find meaning in it, no one will. So why are we still trying to find meaning in it, church, right? So we need to heed the words, again, these wise warnings from the preacher, from Solomon here. And he didn't just achieve this through dumb luck, right? It wasn't just uh, he called on God, the magic genie in a bottle, and said, what do you want? I want wisdom. And then uh, gold coins just began to fall on him. No, he worked hard. He says, I toiled, I labored, I was diligent, I put forth effort, and I did it all through wisdom. My ambition drove me. That achievement after achievement was on my life, and I pursued life with wisdom. That wisdom is what I use to pursue life. And so Solomon is like... In, in many respects and in many ways that we would look at the definition of somebody living according to wisdom, he's the best of the best. 
He's the one who had the most wisdom and employed it for the most gain. And so commonly, that is how we measure our lives, right? Is that I am smarter than others around me, so I don't make these kinds of mistakes. Or I made a better investment, so I got a better return. Yes, uh, living according to wisdom, there is absolutely benefit and value and gain to that, but it is not all it. That is not it, right? Solomon had incredible godly wisdom because God gave it to him. He didn't always use it for godly means, but he had incredible godly wisdom to achieve unreal status and greatness. And all of us know what this feels like. We might not know how it feels to be Solomon. We might not know how it feels to be the most opulent household on the earth, right? Probably none of us in here know what that feels like. We might not know what it feels like to be the king of a nation and making deals with nations all over the place and expanding your kingdom's rule and reign further than anybody else had at that point. We may not know exactly what that feels like, but all of us know because this is the end we are taught to pursue, every one of us. None of our parents said, do as many dumb things as you possibly can and hope for the best. No one is guided like that. It's always make good choices, be careful, use wisdom, employ knowledge, go to college, get a degree, get a job, pay off your debt, and retire, right? Like, this is the worldly wisdom. It's still wisdom. This is what people think of. This is how people think of wisdom, right? Because when we look at wisdom the way that we are spun it, it's spun to us, this is what we're told. We all understand this. And, and some of us, you know, some things might get flipped upside down today. There's not a problem with going to college. There's not a problem with a degree. There's not a problem with student loan debt necessarily, right? I would advise you not to go into debt if you don't have to. Amen? Okay. But there's not an inherent sinful problem with that. But the wisdom that we are pushing everything forward with is exactly what Solomon is condemning here. The wisdom that if we're just smart and we go get benefit and gain from the world, everything that we can possibly get, that's when we'll find meaning. I had a meeting with somebody last week who uh, is headed to college to go pursue their dream career. Uh, And I asked about God. And they said, uh, yeah, I'll probably go to church because I don't want to lose my tuition. And I said, "You, you have missed it entirely. You've missed the entire definition of what Solomon is talking about. This is exactly what Solomon is talking about. That when I go employ the world's wisdom, then I'll get what I want, then I'll be happy. No, we cannot be happy this way. So, Solomon's conclusion, uh, again, it's kind of a spoiler alert, right? He says, it's all meaningless. He opens the book by saying, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, right? All of it is meaningless under the sun. Anything, if you just look at life on earth, it doesn't matter because it's all just going to spin on anyway. And his conclusion, as it has every week, leads us to some interesting questions. The conclusion of using wisdom to uh, 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 obtain achievement through ambition is, why does a man who has achieved so much feel like wisdom and achievement are meaningless pursuits. Or maybe put a different way for us today, why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? Why do our accomplishments not ultimately satisfy us? Let's pick up again in the second part of verse 14 and read through verse 16 with this question in mind. Why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? Verse 14b, he says this, after he's talking about walking in the light or walking in darkness, he says, yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them, the wise and the fool. So I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so wise? I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? So the preacher points us to two primary reasons why wisdom leading to achievement fueled by ambition 
is not ultimately satisfactory to our heart's real desires. And the first one is, he says it doesn't even matter if you live wisely or foolishly. The end is going to come for both of us. It doesn't matter if we achieve much or achieve little. It's all out of our control anyway. Jesus taught this when he said, does not God cause the sun to rise on the good and the evil, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust? It's all going to happen anyway. Just because you choose wisdom doesn't mean that you're going to live a life without suffering. Just because you're smarter than your neighbor doesn't mean that a tragedy is not going to happen in your life. You can't outsmart your way out of this. You can't be so wise that you escape what he says the great equalizer is death, mortality. That no matter how we live our life, our life is all going to end the same. Death comes for us all. The same event comes for the wise, that comes for the foolish, and that everybody's going to experience this. It's the great neutralizer, it's the great equalizer that in the end, regardless of how much wisdom we had, regardless of how much achievement we had, regardless of the ambition we had, none of that can stop us from experiencing the exact same reality as the people we look down on as foolish. So this is why, again, the, the, the question is so important that why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? One of the reasons living for accomplishments and achievements can leave us so empty is that no matter who you are, at some point, no matter how much you've accomplished, it all goes away, no matter what it is. You do not get to enjoy all of your accomplishments for the rest of eternity. No matter how much you've enjoyed it, no matter what kind of legacy you have built, one day you're not going to be experiencing it anymore right? So this, this great neutralizer and equalizer should lead us to some dissonance at least, but probably at most, this is like bordering on depression, right? So why would I do anything then? Why not live according to foolishness? Solomon says it's not the best way to do it, but if it's all going to be taken away by death anyway, what am I doing? Why would I do this? There's a great author and preacher, John Stott, uh, who, who calls life this, that life on earth is a brief pilgrimage between two points of nakedness. So you would do, be wise to travel light, right? You can't take it all with you, but it's just a brief pilgrimage between two points of nakedness. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 5. Job says this when he says, naked a man comes into the world and naked he shall leave. So we would be wise to travel light is what John Stott says. So he says the reason, the primary reason, the first reason he gives for why wisdom leading to achievement fueled, by, fueled with ambition is meaningless is that death is going to come for us all. The second reason he gives is that no one's going to remember what you did anyway. And this is the hard one, right? Because uh, it, it's not only death that comes for anyone. He says that the march of time will go on and your achievements will be forgotten. If you're a business owner, your business is going to go out of business one day. Even if it lasts a really long time, it's going to stop one day. If you have a beautiful house, your house is just going to turn into moth and rust one day, right? It will, it will be destroyed one day. Even if you pass stuff along to your children who pass stuff along to their children who pass stuff along to their children, we see this with families, right? That there are great families that started great things and now all of a sudden that great thing has just been turned into something that one kid decides, I'm just going to cash out on this and be done with it and I'm going to sell the company, right? Because I just want the money. Right? So through the march of time, our achievements will be forgotten. And Solomon isn't just some guy who did good stuff. Right? He's not just somebody who invested in Bitcoin at the right time and it worked out for him. Right? He, is, he is the goat. He's the best of the best in terms of achievement. No one's ever achieved more or been wiser than him ever. And he's saying all my accomplishments are going to be meaningless even though I'm the best. Because death is going to come, and over time, the memories that people have of me and my accomplishments will only begin to fade. The wise person dies just like the fool, and over time, they're both forgotten. Even the highest moments of your life will be forgotten at one point. So if there's no lasting legacy for those of us who are tempted to achieve much, then certainly achievement is rendered meaningless by the person who has achieved more in the world than anyone else. This is a hard thing for us to hear as achievement-minded, ambitious, wise people at the early service, right? Would you all say unanimously you're wiser than the late service? Come on. Yeah, that's, I get it. I know. It's okay. I used to be an early service attendee as well. <laughs> that's a joke. When we stop to evaluate achievement, accomplishment, 
ambition, and we look at the truly great men and women of the world, we would be wise to remember how many are actually remembered, that it's very few. Any baseball fans? Who won the batting, batting title in the National League in 1972? Michael Jordan. Great guess, but you're wrong. No one knows. Why? Is, is winning the batting title in the National League at the highest baseball league on earth, is that a cool achievement? Yeah, but no one knows. Who knows maybe four facts about Millard Fillmore? Who even knows who Millard Fillmore is or was? He was a president of the United States of America. But we don't, we don't remember much about that. That was a pretty cool achievement, right? Or like a hometown great for me. How many of you know how many medals Jackie Joyner Kersey has won? I grew up in St. Louis where she, where she grew up. Oh, none of us. One of the greatest Olympians in the world has ever known. But we don't know. Because the march of time goes on and our achievements fade away. Time neutralizes our accomplishments. Achievement and ambition seem meaningless when you look at them in comparison to the movements of time. So the preacher, he gets this, he sees it, he feels it, he's tasting this. And it doesn't taste good to him either. He's saying it's all meaningless. All the wisdom I had that I employed for achievement and ambition. I worked so hard. And none of it matters. So he makes this sorrowful declaration in verse 17. So I hated life. So he looks at all this and his only conclusion is to hate life. So if this feels discouraging to you, it's supposed to right now, okay? So it's not going to be like this for the whole service, right? But we need to get there with Solomon. The one who's achieved more than any of us ever have says it's all worthless. And it actually led me to the point where I hated life, where he views his achievements, his ambition, his successes as the meaning and purpose of his life, and he finds it empty for a man who accomplished so much, he recognizes it was all pointless, ultimately ambition that focuses on us and strives for accomplishments that make our name great can't ultimately satisfy our heart's desires. Someone who had it all ends up hating life. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do about these things? I think, again, there's a right answer and a real answer to all the questions that I'm going to ask today. I'm assuming most of you, if not all of you, could provide the right answer to what are we supposed to do if all of our achievements are meaningless, right? Probably all of you would say, go out and serve God. And I would say, yes and amen. And you would walk out and you would be crying on the inside, some of us, because we know that's not what we're doing. We know that's not what our lives actually look like. We know we're just trying to keep up with the Joneses, whoever they are. I don't even know the Joneses, but we're, we're all trying to keep up with them somehow. Verse 17, he says, so I hated life. He continues saying this. Because what is done under the sun was grievous or painful to me. All is vanity and a striving after the wind. So he gives us a bit of a clue to why he hated life. He gives us a bit of a clue to what is the answer to why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy, and it's because of his focus. Again, under the sun is used 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. He's saying, when I focus on life on earth, I hate it. When I focus on all my achievements, all my worldly achievements, all the gain and success that I got from all my wisdom, I hate it. Because without God in the equation, achievement and ambition feel pointless. Because the world's going to continue on. Because generations are going to come and they're going to go. Because even if you build a big, awesome company, right? And I'll just use a, a, a natural example right now, right? The Beaumont family did some good things here in this uh, region. And the hospital system's about to be sold. And it's not going to be called that anymore. And it will fade away. Because it's going to have a new name. Because someone got rich. Right? And I'm not faulting anything or everybody that Beaumont has done. I'm not getting mad at anybody who works at Beaumont, but it's just a, a local example for us that it's just going to fade away. Everything that's done here on earth is 
pointless. Everything done under the sun is pointless. The point of Ecclesiastes is to remind us of this, that if we're to find our true meaning, we have to look higher than what life under the sun is, right? Now, is it entirely worthless what you do on earth? No, absolutely not. If our point to all of this is to make us wise or us famous or get things for us, like last week and this week, Solomon's saying, I got all this stuff for me and I found out it's all pointless because I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to die just like the fool. Everybody's going to forget all of my accomplishments one day. Even though his accomplishments are recorded here, we don't talk about him in everyday life, right? We, we talk about the picture of wealth as the newest picture of wealth, Jeff Bezos, right? Solomon had more than he did and it didn't even look close to that, right? It wasn't even close to that. But we just want what's new and we want what's right in front of us because life under the sun seems to be so meaningful to us now until we explore it all and we find at the end that it is all meaningless. So what are we supposed to do, church? How do we not end up like Solomon in verse 17 where he says, I look at all this and the only thing I can do is hate my life. How do we end up like that? How do we answer that? And the answer is very, very simple, and it's our big idea today. God is supreme. God is smarter than any of us will ever be. Amen? God is longer lasting than any of us will ever be. Amen? God has achieved more than any of us ever have. Amen? God is just all around better than any of us are. Amen? When we look at life under the sun and recognize God as supreme, then we start to add a little bit of meaning back into this life that we're tempted to hate. Because the answer to the question of why are accomplishments never satisfactory, or why is pleasure so short-lived like we looked at last week, why do accomplishments and ambition not ultimately satisfy, is when we make ourselves the end of our pursuits. That's when you'll find the answer. If you want to find out, is wisdom, is ambition, is achievement, is accomplishment, is wealth, is all this stuff uh, meaningful, make it all about you. That's the best way to find out, because you'll find out really quickly, no. It doesn't matter. But when we understand that God is supreme, we realize that that latter illustration or example is not even what we were designed for. We weren't made for that kind of living. That is not why humanity was created. We weren't created to go get whatever we wanted to do. We were created to worship our creator. We were created to do what he told us to, to follow his order and command for our lives. When scripture attests to time and time again that God is supreme, therefore he's to be the end of all of our ambition, all of our achievement, all of our success, all of our wisdom. And he reminds his people of that time and time again. And the prophet Isaiah, as he's speaking to Israel, he gets a reminder from God to the people and it says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, my praise to no carved idol. Paul writes in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, he says, God is unsearchable. All of his ways are inscrutable, that you can't figure him out. You can't do all of this. God reminds us over and over again, I am supreme. I am eternal. My glory I will not give to anyone else. No matter how ambitious our achievement, no matter how wise we are, no matter how great our success, no matter how beloved you are by everyone else, we will never, ever eclipse God. And when we live life like this, under the sun, life on earth, thinking that we can somehow eclipse God, right? And, and, and this has been philosophically present throughout the history of time, right? There was a massive movement in philosophy, and the movement was God is dead, and who killed him? Man, right? That God was no longer needed. That there has constantly been, we are now the apex of creation. We are now the ones who are the smartest. But God is supreme, and no one will ever eclipse God and who he is. Speaking of eclipses, the moon is a glorious entity, a glorious celestial being. And a moon, I, I love a, a big full moon on a summer night. Right, a, a big harvest moon or a blood moon. How many of you went outside for the super moon a couple months ago? Right? And we saw it, a couple of us saw it. Maybe it just kept you up at night and you wished it wouldn't, wouldn't be so bright. Right? 
it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. It's an incredible thing to behold. But the moon is only as special as it is. Why? Because it reflects the light of the sun. If the moon were the center of the universe, everything would be dark, everything would be cold, and we would all be dead. The moon's a, a beautiful thing to behold, but the only reason it's beautiful to behold is because it reflects the true light of the sun. It has a glorious purpose, but that purpose is only found when it's in alignment with the sun. Beholding the beauty of the, the moon reminds us all of the centrality, beauty, brightness, and utter unavoidability of the sun. That when we see the moon at night, we think it's amazing, but it is only the sun reflecting off the moon. That's the only reason we see any brightness, and it is the exact same way for us. Scripture is not calling us to reject ambition. Scripture is not saying that we shouldn't have a desire to achieve a particular end, and it's not as though God calls us to never, ever achieve things. Remember, the question is, who's at the center of those things? Is it you, or is it God? For all of our ambition, for all of our wisdom, for all of our success, for all of our achievement, if God is supreme, then our ambition should be for his glory. And our achievement should be to make much of him so that our purpose, our created purpose of worshiping him, people would look at our lives and they would worship him more. Just like people who look at the moon and say, wow, that is beautiful, but it's only beautiful because it's reflecting the sun, the brightness of the sun. We are not created to be the sun in the universe, church. We are not created to have the world revolve around us. We are not created to be the thing that people look at and say, oh, wow, look at how bright they are. Look at how glorious they are. Look at how warm they make me feel. No, we are called to be the moon. We are not meant to be in the center. We are meant to reflect the centrality of the true sun, right? The S-O-N, Jesus Christ. That when we are doing what we're supposed to do, when we employ our wisdom, our achievement, our success, our ambition, all of our aim to make much of Jesus, that's when we can start to find some meaning to this life. That's when we can start to see that the things that are being done through my life for heaven, in heaven, and in the name of Jesus, those are the things that are going to last into eternity. Because he's going to remake everything. That there's going to be a full death for each one of us so we can have a full resurrection for each one of us. There's going to be a full death to all of creation so that there could be a renewed and remade and restored creation, a new heaven and a new earth. Everything is going to die so that God can remake it new. The good news of the gospel is only found when our focus is aimed higher than life under the sun, life on earth. If our focus is aimed higher at what happens above the sun and what has happened and what is happening, in the heavenly places, that's when we can start to see meaning, true meaning in our lives. But when we just focus on the doldrums of work, when we just punch the clock, right, Monday through Friday with a boss that we don't like, and quite frankly, they don't like us either, and we're looking at it like, oh, this is all there is, that's when things can begin to feel meaningless. That's when we fall into the same trap Solomon did. And he says, man, I hate this. I hate this meaningless feeling. I hate my life. Someone who has everything hates their life. But when we understand that we are merely called to reflect the true son, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and that's when we can shine brightly, and that's when beauty can be found, and that's when lasting purpose can be found. That's when true meaning, because it is our created meaning. No one knows a creation better than its creator. No one knows how something's supposed to function better than the person who built it. So he understands exactly what we need, and we need to live according to that. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to struggle with meaninglessness. We're going to continue to struggle with emptiness like Solomon did. And when we do, when we see that life is more than just what's done under the sun, we get to see point number two, right? God said in Isaiah, I give my glory to no other. But there is another truth found in the Bible. God shares his victories with his people. 
He gives his glory to no other, but God shares his victories with his people. And we can actually uniquely see this in this passage when we think about it in the larger narrative of Scripture, right? When we think about the meta-narrative of Scripture, we can understand exactly what God might be doing here in our lives today as he has uh, put this message into the heart of the Koheleth, into the heart of the preacher, the teacher, as he has gathered people together to give them wisdom. We see that the preacher highlights death as the ultimate equalizer, as the great neutralizer of all accomplishments. And we also see how God highlights death as the thing that ultimately displays his greatest victory. That when Jesus died on the cross, the world was tempted to say his ministry was pointless. His ministry was worthless. I knew he was no different. So God uses death to get us to the place of neutrality and equality at the foot of the cross to see that death is the very thing he uses to show us his greatest victory. And while death brings despair and meaninglessness and hatred of our life to all of those of us who are fixed on individualism, making as much of this life about me as I possibly can, it's actually the thing that makes him supreme when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we understand that death is actually the only thing that could bring life and salvation to us and give our life meaning and purpose. Why? Because it was through the death of Jesus Christ that God would ultimately display his magnitude of glory and grace. He has done no greater act under the sun than Christ on the cross. It is the thing that changed eternity. Under the sun, above the sun, in the sun, throughout all of creation and in every universe ever. If they find a new universe tomorrow, God will have known about it since the beginning of it because he created it. It was through death and resurrection that God declared this world under the sun as not all there is. So when we're fixed and focused on everything that's going on around us, you need to look a little bit higher than the sun. Because he's going to renew all this one day. He's going to remake all this one day. And it may be today, and it may be in generations. We don't know when it's going to be. But we know that there's something greater than what's going on right now. We know that he is inviting us into this beautiful kingdom with the rule and reign of King Jesus Christ. And he's inviting us all to find our true purpose and our true meaning in Christ alone. That you can't find it in General Motors. You can't find it at United Wholesale Mortgage. You can't find it in the NFL or the NBA. You can't find it in a music company or, or some sort of, even a, a good and godly nonprofit career. You can't find it there. We can only find it in one place, the true son, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ. And when we do this, our ambitions, our achievements, our successes, they all find their proper end. And their proper end is to give glory to God and enjoy him forever. That's the life we're all called to. We don't have to have this meaningless toil that we do all day, every day. We can say, God, I love you. Use me however you want to use me because that's where real joy is going to be found anyway, church. We can't even make ourselves happy. He's the only one who can do it. I want to watch a, a quick video of like two of my favorite people, actually, two of my favorite celebrities. One is Bear Grylls. Anybody know Bear Grylls? Right? great outdoorsman. I love the outdoors. The other is Deion Sanders, right? One of my favorite athletes of all time, right? Two people that are like at the pinnacle of things that I love. I love sports and I love the outdoors. And there's a, a, a two and a half minute interchange between these two men that I want to watch a quick video and then we'll come back and we'll wrap up the service. Deion is the only man in history to play in both the Super Bowl and the World Series. He dominated both sports for more than a decade, earning himself two Super Bowl rings and a spot in the Hall of Fame. So out of all of the sporting moments, what was your greatest, do you think? Do you ever think about those, no. or do you not really? Honestly, man, behind the veil, behind the mask, I'm really different than my public persona. My public persona is prime time, you know? So like, even like when you won the Super Bowl and stuff? When I won the Super Bowl, when I won my first Super Bowl, what did he do? I was the first one on the bus, first one to bed. I didn't even go to party. It was something missing inside, man. It wasn't fulfilling as I thought it was. It, it, it wasn't about the things, the outward things, because I had um, power, money, and, and sex, but it wasn't fulfilling. So you had all of that power, money? And sex. And it was it just? It was empty. It was an empty feeling still. Still empty. So what happened? That's when I went through my, my first divorce in which the only things that I knew that truly loved me were my two kids. 
now they're gone. Now they've been taken away. Because you lost custody of your kids. It was devastating, and I went through suicidal thoughts, a suicidal period. I, I ran um, this car off the side of the highway and was at the bottom. I thought it would just, the car would flip, it didn't flip. And I was still there. And I was like, man. Hmm. Shortly after that, I had to just come to the Lord with my hands up, say, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You got me. I give up. God, you take me. So like all of that power and money sex didn't empty. give you what your, your empty. faith has? Mm -mm, empty. Emptiness. There's a great power to being able to achieve amazing things mm -hmm. and yet hold them so lightly because you have something far more precious. That's it. And, you know, we share a faith together. You know, it's like a backbone to me as well. And it's like all the achievements and the summits and they're, they're nothing compared to, right. you know, that's something inside. And I totally see it in you. I stayed strong and I never questioned God. And I won custody of so my you won babies. custody. Yeah, I won custody of all my babies. And I'm happy, you know, I pride myself on being the best dad in the world, man. I know all their shoe sizes, all their clothes sizes, their teachers. Uh, I know how to braid my daughter's hair. <laughs> it has to be something bigger than you that you're working for, that you're living for. If it's all about you, you've already lost. I think if the preacher were to hear this conversation between these two men that have achieved more than most of us could ever imagine, right? I'll never play in the Super Bowl or the World Series. Like, those days are long gone. They were never really there, but they're long gone. I don't know how many times I'll climb Mount Everest like Bear Grylls has or serve in the British Special Forces or do all these things. And they're looking at each other saying, none of it matters. When you hear Dion say, I want, and everybody has a, an image of prime time. And he says, when I won my first Super Bowl, when I got to the top, all I could do was go to bed. We see that living life for us, for our achievement, our ambition, and not something greater than our own lives is ultimately going to be empty or meaningless. When we live life for ourselves, we wind up empty. When we make our ambition and achievement individualistic in life, it all feels meaningless and empty. But if we can know in the depth of our heart, at the core of our being, that God is supreme, that truly God is supreme, that we can begin to have joy unspeakable. We can begin to have meaning on our life. As the worship team comes back to the stage, I want to invite you all to stand to your feet. We're, gonna, we're about to sing about this joy, but I pray that today, each of us, after hearing a two and a half minute video, after hearing the preacher who uh, his wealth and his ambition and his wisdom has stood the test of time, that we would hear this and we would say, I can't have my life be like this. This, this can't be the thing that my life is pointed towards because it leads to emptiness. It leads to meaninglessness. So much so that he says, I hated my life. So for each of us, as we pursue God as supreme, as we pursue something that is greater than ourselves, something that has deeper meaning than any of the achievements or accomplishments we could have on earth, that's the only place we find true meaning. So how do you do that today? First, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we can start with that. We can start by falling down and saying, God, whatever I'm trying to achieve apart from you is going to be meaningless anyway. Please grab me right now. Please help me. Come to God like Deion Sanders did after trying to crash his car and saying, I give up. It's just you, God. Take me. Whatever you want to do with my life, I want to give it to you, and I want you to take me. If you've never done that before, make today that day. And if you don't know how to do that today, all you have to do is raise your hands and say, I give up, God, take me. He'll know the words in your heart. You don't have to pray a special prayer. We can talk together afterwards, but if you raise your hands and say, God, I give up, take me, he'll know exactly what your heart means, and he will grab you, and your life can change. Perhaps you've done that before and you're still living life and you're, you're trapped in some sort of meaningless feeling. You're trapped in this rat race of life in Western culture. You can do the same exact thing. 
It's the same action step for all of us today. To show up with our hands up and say, God, take me. I give up. I'm done chasing whatever I thought was going to add meaning to my life, and I just want to serve you, God. Whatever you want me to do, God, I surrender, and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Wherever you've called me to be, God, I surrender, and that's where I'm going to go be. Even if I don't like where it feels, even if I don't necessarily love what it looks like, I trust you to take care of my life, my family, my marriage, my children, everything more than I trust myself to take care of it. He's the one who owns everything anyway. So let's remind ourselves that even our very lives are owned by him. Some of us put ourselves in a compartment where we feel like we own our life. You're in charge of your choice, but God owns you. So for each of us today, I pray that we would make God supreme. It's the only way we can find joy. It's the only way we can find real joy. And we're going to sing a song called Joy right now. And I encourage you to make this song the application of the message for your life to make this song, uh, to even sing this into your bones. It says, I've got this joy down deep in my soul. Some of you may not feel like it's there. Some of us may feel like, yeah, maybe for uh, four to five minutes a Sunday, Pastor, I feel like I have joy. It's ready for you. It's available for you all the time. It's available for you on a Tuesday at 3 p.m. when you're wondering, should I even be at this job? It's available for you when you're arguing with your spouse or you're yelling at your kids or you're going back to school shopping. Joy is available for you because everything that we can do here, when we look at it higher than life under the sun, higher than just life on earth, you can start to see real meaning. We can start to see real purpose. We can start to see that buying a pack of pencils for a back to school can actually give God praise and we can show him how much we love him doing it. When you go to the grocery store, when you're checking out, don't look so mad. Like, it's as simple as that, right? And, I, and there's a lot of times where I got to convince myself, right? When we were at Costco yesterday and the lady uh, voided our order and she yelled an expletive out. And I was like, whoa, hey, it's okay. Like, it's totally fine. She screamed S-H-I-T loud after voiding our, 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 our order. I only had like six things in it. I was like, it's all right. Put my hands on her shoulder. I'm like, it's all good. We're going to be able to get it done. But that does mean my order's free today, right? And she said, no. I was like, I, I had to try. But we can have joy no, no matter what we're doing. When you get cut off, just say, I hope you get there wherever you're trying to go. God bless you. I love you. We can have this joy not because of anything we can do, not even because we convince ourselves of it, but because if you walk to the Lord with your hands up and you say, I give up, I surrender, and I belong to you now, God, he'll take you and he'll do something amazing with you. God, you are supreme and we give you glory and honor and praise and adoration because your name is greater than our own, because your kingdom is higher than our own, because we want to look at life higher than what's lived under the sun. We want to look at life that's going to live on forever, that we have eternity with you if we have put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So today I say thank you. Thank you that joy is available. Thank you that peace is possible. Thank you that you have eliminated the enmity between me and you through your son, Jesus Christ, Father. And I pray that we would surrender all of us today, that we would surrender to you, Lord, and that we would see you high and lifted up and we would see the very reason our lives were created. We would see the reason we even have breath in our lungs today to glorify you and have a great time doing it. I love you, Jesus. I praise you. Fill us with your joy today. In your mighty name we pray. Together we say amen and amen. Let's give God praise as we sing to joy. At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose. But how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture and together hold fast to a better answer, God's.